is okay. So we're let's get back to the so no in, to a Catholic. Though you cannot under, you cannot understand the word, you cannot interpret the word, you cannot study the word, you cannot teach the word without them. You cannot be forgiven of sins without them because you have to go to them for forgiveness. You have to go to them for the penance and the sacraments. So without them, you cannot have a relationship with God. Even going to the point of the communion of saints, which they're claiming they're not worshiping saints, that the effigies and the, the statues and the, the medallions and the paintings, they're only there to remind them of the grace of God and how good God is not to worship these in particular saints. Now, Obviously, to a Protestant, that borderlines on idolatry. So we, but the idea of this is, is that just like you would come to, I would go to you and say, "Hey, Doug, can you pray for me?" You know, I just got diagnosed with cancer. That's what they're doing. They're going to the saints and to Mary because they need them to go to God for you. Right. That that that's why they're praying to the saints because the saints have a special relationship with God that you and I don't have. That's, right. that's in essence what they believe. So why not go to these saints who would then go to God for you? The problem is they're dead. The Bible doesn't <laughs> talk about how you can pray and the dead hear you. You know what I'm saying? So right. how can they hear you? They're in heaven. They're dead. You know, the Bible does talk a bit about how yeah, the, when you, you know, the when in you Hebrews, pray, they're watching, the saints are watching, and, you know, so great a cloud of witnesses. But I think that was right. more of a proverbial sense. But, but you know, Paul's saying, hey, there's well, all these people that have gone before that are cheering that, you on. What's ironic is – I'm echoing again. Anyway, what's <laughs> ironic is uh, in Hebrews, it does talk about a great cloud of witnesses, but it also yes. talks about we only have one mediator. There's only one mediator. That's right. That's right. Uh, there's only God one. Demand. That's and right. that is Jesus Christ. And not only that, but it's so clear that through everything, it's, it, he says, through Christ, through Christ, through Christ. And uh, I think in chapter 13, verse like 14 or 15, right. he says, through Christ, we worship, we offer up praises of worship to God the Father. Yes. And he's making it clear it's through through Christ. Yeah. Um, well, that's where Protestants believe. That's what we believe. And that, yeah. if you go back to the very basics of doctrine, even what the Catholics determined was doctrine and put in the Bible or quantified in the Bible as doctrine, that's what it says. That there is only one mediator between God and man, and that, that, that's Jesus Christ. That the Messiah, who everybody was waiting for from the foundation of, of the world in the fall, was Jesus Christ. And when he came, he created the new covenant, which is through you, through me, the law is fulfilled. But that, that, again, comes back to why do I need a priest? Because I need a priest to tell me what's right and wrong. Because only a priest can tell me what's right and wrong. No, but to a, to a Protestant, only the Bible determines what is right and wrong. The law still determines what is right and wrong. But it is impossible, as Paul said, for one to fulfill the law. You will always break something in the law. There, right. The smallest minute detail, you will break. And then that breaking produces death. Not according to a Catholic, because according to a Catholic, there are mortal sins and venial sins. So if you break that law and it's a medial sin, venial sin, really all you need to do is your five Hail Marys and your four Our Fathers and go home. You know what I'm saying? There's a or you might end up in purgatory for a couple of days. Where to a Protestant or, or to to uh, what we believe what the word says is that all sin is punishable by death. Every little bit of it, you will break the law. Because through the law, I now know what sin is, but I could not fulfill the law. But Jesus came 
and fulfilled the law so that I might live. That's what Paul. That's what the Bible talks about. Paul talks over and over and over again about that in Romans. Right. So there's one of the base differences between. Again, it all comes a lot back to work, and and you need a priest to facilitate those works because the priests have a special dispensation again to understand the Word of God, and they have a special relationship with God that you and I do not have. But why well, the is the new that? covenant, like you said? I mean, the new covenant. Uh, one of the essential things is there's this intimacy and relationship. We can That's approach right. the throne room of, of God boldly. Yep. We are sons and daughters of God yes. through which the Holy Spirit cries, "Abba, Father." Um, uh, and then, I mean, you look at the new covenant where he talks about, I will remove their heart of stone, I will give them a heart of flesh. Yes, and yes. then in Hebrews again, yes. you see, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, That's declares right. the Lord. I will put my laws on oh, their hearts. I'll I will write, write the them on their minds. That's right. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. That's where right. there is forgiveness of these, there no longer needs any offering for sin. And so right. that really gets at the heart. Hebrews has so many verses that that really go against a lot of the Catholic beliefs. Um, well, dealing again, with sin and the priesthood and approaching yes. God and one mediator. Um, no, absolutely. Well, even going back to the one the one priest that I had been listening to said that they're going back to the idea that the Jews were already saved. All they needed to do was be baptized once Jesus came, which isn't true. Uh, because they had circumcision in the law. And Paul says in, in uh, Romans 2, 25, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you even with your written code and circumcisions, are a transgressor of that law. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So what Paul is pretty much saying there is, it's not about what you do outwardly. It's about what's going on inwardly. That's right. where it matters, because that is what's from God, not the outward. The outward is from you. But the inward is from God. Yes, there are certain outward things that, that we can look at to see that there is an inward working being going on. But it is not the outward that produces the inward change. It is the inward change that produces the outward change. And right. this is where you, where you flip it. Because the Old Covenant was given to people who were spirit who had been flipped we were designed spirit soul body but when our spirit was separated from god it flipped and became body soul spirit so we experienced the world through from the body first the soul second then our spirit was dead when we were designed to experience the world in the universe spirit first soul next then physical so the old covenant was given to people who could only understand things through an outward physical experience because the spirit was dead now your spirit is being made alive again, and that is being that relationship is being restored. So Paul's trying to explain to him the outward stuff that was a representation of what's going to happen inwardly. And that inward thing was so much more important, and you used to understand that, but now you're still caught up in the outward rituals and rites that were required of you. So what you see is, and even this priest made this comment, a lot of the Catholic rites going back to the idea of the Old Covenant, that you were then to pay for your sin. You had, again, we talked about the Day of Atonement. You have the Eucharist. 
a lot of their different rites and rituals are direct representations of the Old Covenant being translated into the New Covenant in a way that can relate to a physical sense. By, and the physical becomes more important than the inward and the supernatural. Or the physical actually represents the supernatural and said to be supernatural. So, for instance, you take the, we take the, the Eucharist, or we take the the, the last supper, the the, the uh, um, communion. And yes, there is a supernatural component to communion, but the rite itself becomes supernatural, not the intent and the heart behind it, not the attitudes behind it, not what's going on inside. The rite itself alone is the supernatural element to it. You see what I'm saying? It goes back to being physical instead of inward. But the physical right, the taking of communion only matters if inwardly it means something. If inwardly there's a supernatural element and change going on inside of me. Yeah, I think even in the Old Testament, though, uh, the regeneration was, there was a difference, but there was a birth according to the Spirit. Um, There wasn't an indwelling, but like like for example okay galatians 4 talks about but just as at the time he was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit yeah um so i think there was a you know and god also says circumcise their hearts uh but it it goes to a different level once christ comes and the holy spirit and dwells believers yeah but um but yeah i mean that's why the jews just what you were saying about the fleshliness of it is in john chapter 6 when Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, this is clearly figurative language. Yes. And the fact that they were interpreting, the, they interpreted Jesus' world literally, and Jesus goes out of his way to clarify and to correct them, to show that right. the meaning of the text, um, to eat my body, drink my flesh, Christ was, he was using a figurative language just like uh, he always used highly figurative language about himself. He called himself the bread of life, door, shepherd, but we don't yeah. believe that he was just loaf of bread or a literal wooden door with hinges or that he had a literal flock of sheep. We know he was talking about spiritual things. Right. Just like he calls himself the ladder or the way, he is the way, but we don't believe he's like this road or that he has actual rungs. So, But like you said, there is a spiritual aspect even with the um, the Lord's Supper, because Jesus says in John 6, like verse 63, my words are spirit, because he's explaining to them. Yes. He's saying, how are we supposed to eat his flesh and drink? That's weird. You know, he's like, no, my words are spirit, and they are life. And they're life, yes. So there is a real presence with, of Christ with his people. Now the Catholics uh, who believe in transubstantiation they think this because they take so literally what he says when he says, my flesh and my, drink my blood. It's almost like they completely missed the part where Jesus says, my words are spirit and they are life. You know, and so they think right. that uh, it actually becomes well, and <clears throat> turns into the actual flesh and blood. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, Paul says, For I received the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as, I, as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, Jesus is saying, Do this in remembrance of me. He's not saying do this in a supernatural, you know, because 
every time you do it, I'm dying again for you. And then right. Paul goes on to say, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. In other words, it is a rep- you're saying, yeah, you're proclaiming that Jesus died until he comes back a second time. But he does express the importance of it by saying, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. For let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, and we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. So in other words, what he's talking about here is the importance of searching your heart. That right. that we're coming together and we're partaking. He does talk about the importance of this. And so you can see that there is there is an importance to the Last Supper. There is an importance to communion, and that if that if we're ta- if we're just flippantly taking communion without remembering Christ and without understanding the importance of what Jesus right. did, that that that's going to produce a death in our lives too. So well, you can I've... see where the Catholics are getting this idea to some degree right. of the importance of the Last Supper, or what they would call the Eucharist. So there is some reality to maybe as, and I and I'm I am going to say this, and I know that some Christians, you know. Protestant Christians might disagree with me. Maybe we do take communion a little bit too lightly sometimes. And I think that's well, kind of what is, Paul's saying here. We're taking this relationship with God and what he did for us, because I really think that's what he's talking about, and what he did for us too lightly. Right. There is a, yeah, and I I, I agree. Um, I used to say that it was just a memorial. It was right. just something in, in, in remembrance of, um, and that you just sit down, you eat it, and you think about Jesus, and that's it. Right. But there, now, here at the uh, PCA Church, we believe there's a very real, it's a very special thing. And there is a real sense of we are participating in his, in his right. death. You right. know, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, not I, but Christ lives in me. Right. We, we are, there is a very spiritual, serious uh, thing that we're doing, and there's a very real presence of Christ that is with us. Now, I thought it was funny that... Um, now I don't know if this is true or not. And a lot of some people think it is, right. uh, some historians do, and some don't. But the way that there's this transubstantiation, they used Aristotle's uh, Aristotle's philosophy to kind of think through this, how it turns in, how it's the actual bread and right. wine, and it right. turns into the actual blood. And they used like accidents and something else. But the priest would say in Latin, he'd say, "Hoc est corpus meum." This is my body. So, hocus corpus meum. Nobody spoke Latin except the priest. They—that's right. where hocus pocus comes from. Ah, oh, that's what that. a lot of people believe that, that that's that. where it comes from. That's interesting. Which I, think I didn't know of, that. Yeah, it's a little. Well, I guess too. It comes back to even what you see here, though. Again, is Paul is not saying that this is. Because he does at the very end say, therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together and judgment. I will set the rest in order. But he says, um, that was one of the words he says, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So he's talking about, still talking about that this is not, this is not a necessity for salvation. 
And I think, again, the the idea, yes, I do think that sometimes we take communion half-heartedly. We do things, we do things half-heartedly. And, and to some degree, I agree with, with Catholics in the idea that we should be more wholehearted in how we view this stuff, that, the, that going to church, for instance, is important. That being involved in the things of God is important. That right, baptism, right. the the communion, um, Easter Sunday, everything that we, the resurrection of Christ, um, these are important things that we should be very much be a part of our lives, and they shouldn't be things that we just take half-heartedly. But they are not required for salvation. And that is right. part of the difference, I think, in that in the Catholic ideology, as it has brought, broken off, it, they are essential for salvation. They are necessary for salvation. Without the seven sacraments, baptism, confirmation, reconciliation, while marriage isn't really, I don't think, essential, anointing of the sick is not necessarily essential, holy orders and the, Euchar- and the Eucharist, without them, you cannot go to heaven. But right. those are not necessarily... Absolutely. Even baptism, the Bible doesn't mention that baptism is required to go to heaven. Right. You know, so baptism is important, and, and it's a ritual I yeah. think is very important. And I think we minimize it too much to some degree and make it just a ritual that we do. Oh, we're just, you know, hey, yeah, we're getting baptized. And there is a supernatural significance behind that. There is yeah. something supernatural that that represents, and there is something supernatural about baptism that happens supernaturally inside of us. And, and so when we get baptized, it's like when we get baptized by the Holy Spirit. But, again, these man-made rituals, some of which are good, some of which are even in the Bible, because they take too much importance. They take more importance over the supernatural relationship with God, or they they take the place of it in some degree. Yeah, in I this think, separation, in, in, where I it's kind of what, deviated, I guess, from Protestantism. Yeah, I think what you just said about baptism is um, uh, it, it's very important. Yeah. And there is, it, it's not just, hey, let's go uh, dip in the pool or whatever, right. it, uh, you know, to be taken lightly. But when you look at it, somebody had questioned me on this and said, and I believe you have to be uh, saved by faith and baptized, and if you don't, you, you're not saved. And right. pointed to a couple scriptures. And what I told him was, look at what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians. Um, he said, some of you are what I mean that each of you, right. this is verse 12. I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, right. I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, right. so that no one may say that we were baptized in my name. I did not bat, I bat, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's right. And not with the words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. So what he's saying, the, 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 probably the best, most uh, successful evangelist right. ever, the Apostle Paul, who said, the gospel is the power of salvation to all who believe. You know, Well, what he's saying is, if, if, if baptism was essential for salvation— Right. Then I'm pretty sure that the Apostle Paul would have been baptizing everybody. <laughs> you exactly. Know what I mean? Well, no, that's true, and I agree with that. I agree with that 100. percent That it, it's important. But what you see with the Catholic Paul is like, you know, your guys are talking about who baptized who, and that again, that you see them quantifying who was more important. 
Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's what they're fighting over. Uh, Paul is more important than Apollos, or Peter is more important than Paul, and he's like, that. it doesn't matter. Christ is all that matters, not what I did or who, who I, what, you know. But again, we, we're going back to this idea that the, things are becoming quantified. Well, according to Catholic doctrine, Peter and Paul are more important than Apollos was. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, when, so when you so look there at is it... this idea of this hierarchy, this quantified hierarchy. And the higher you go on the hierarchy, the more important your word is. The more you determine what is doctrine, you determine you have the more the more rights you had to determine what is right and wrong, what is doctrine. So yes, if I were baptized by the Pope, that would mean more than being baptized by somebody else to some degree. You start you're starting to see this quantification. It's always been there. This idea that there were superstars, there were people that were more spiritual than others. I mean, it's natural human nature. You know, that, oh, well, you're you're the priest or you're the guy or you're what you know, that's natural human nature to do that. And you see, Paul, that's what Paul's talking about there. You're arguing over who, you know, not he wasn't arguing or the importance of of baptism. What he was arguing was who the heck matters, whether you were baptized by me or Apollos. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. Well, even in the Reformation, it came up to where people were questioning if, for example, a uh somebody that baptized you, if he was an apostate or if he wasn't, right. it found out he was having an affair or he wasn't really a truly walking or didn't believe, they were, you know, well, we need to get rebaptized. And what the reformers would say is, is the, the, the baptism, it's all about the promise of God. It's not about the, it's not about the man and, and, and was my confession true? I messed up after that. Do I need to be rebaptized? Well, no, and they, they say you base right. your faith in the promise of God, not in who yes. you were baptized by. But well, it comes the, a lot when, to when the, the Philippian I, jailer asked Paul yeah. how how you were saved. True, Paul didn't say you need to be baptized, submit to the Pope, keep all the no, commandments that the Church gives you, follow the Church's teaching, nope. go to Mass, observe all the sacraments. No, he said believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. Well, and yeah. that's what they all said, even. Peter at the at the sermon on um, on Pentecost. He didn't say, you know, we said that this gift is for you and to your entire family, but he didn't talk about all these sacraments and Mary and you know Mary was there for one, <laughs> so they didn't talk about Mary being pray to Mary and, and, and she actually and, was floating up into heaven. I oh, think. sorry, yeah, she Pretty went sure. up. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but again, it comes back to the heart of the issue. Even baptism is about the heart. It's about the supernatural change that happened, it, the representation of what happened in your heart. You know what I'm saying? And that's what Paul's trying to get across to people here. It's it's not about the physical rituals. It's about the supernatural changing that came in your spirit and in your heart. That's what this represents. The the physical things we do represent that. They are important to some degree. In in other cultures, you can accept Jesus Christ all you want, but when you get baptized, that's when the, that's when the rubber meets the road. That's yeah. when you're going to have your family throw you out. That's when they're going to kill you because that is a is it's a it's a declaration of accepting this and only this to them. It's like in India, we preach Jesus all we want, but only a few people will show up to be baptized. And the ones that do, usually they're thrown out of their house by if their family is not is not Christian. They're thrown out. They're thrown out on the street. Some of them are beaten. Some of them are killed. Because to be baptized is a declaration to the world that I am accepting Jesus Christ and him alone. 
And that's not acceptable to a Hindu. Because a Hindu will accept multi-gods. Oh, you can add Jesus Christ to our pantheon of gods. But to say he's the only one, no, that's not acceptable. Right. You know? Uh, anybody can say I'm a Christian. Anybody can say I accept Jesus. But when you make this physical statement by getting baptized, that's it means so much to these other these people that came out of religions that you know. We in America we look at things completely differently. These people came out their their whole doctrines and ideologies and religions were based on stuff that are thousands of years old. So baptism by water was an important. It was it was something very serious to them even back then, and it is now. So. We in America, we kind of look down on it, but it's still, it's about the heart. It isn't, it isn't just about the physical things we do. And that's what Paul's trying to get across, I think, here too, is it's not about all of that. It's not about who did what or what you did physically. It's about the heart. But to get back to baptism, uh, was it Philip when he was translated and he saw the Ethiopian eunuch after the Ethiopian eunuch got saved, he said, what is there keeping me from being baptized? Because here's some water and Philip's like, oh, nothing. And he baptized him. So there, there is this idea that you go from salvation to baptism, not the other way around. That it, it's, but it all has to do with your heart. It's like going back to saying, you had mentioned that, uh, for instance, I got baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what I got baptized in. That's what my father said when he baptized me. When I went to Bible college, I was told I had to be baptized in the name of Jesus because Jesus was the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that because I wasn't baptized in the name of Jesus, I had to be rebaptized. Well, I don't believe that because my baptism is about my heart attitude towards God. It isn't about the ritual itself. See what I'm saying? God accepted that that ritual for me because of my heart attitude. It wasn't about the exactness of the ritual. You see what I'm saying? It's going yeah. again. This is where these things deviate to where they are they become man-made to some degree. Now, I, I, my dad baptizes now in the name of Jesus, and so do I when I baptize. So I don't have any problem with that, but I also don't have any problem if, if someone says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? Because I believe when he says, you baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he meant you baptize him in the name of Jesus, which is that name that represents all three in one. But if you use either one, what does it matter? It's not about the ritual. It's about the heart attitude itself. It's about the person, the belief of the person that's doing it, and his heart relationship with Jesus Christ. So, anyway, let's move on to the rites and the sacraments. Um, I guess, actually, we've been talking about that, so pretty much we've already covered that to some degree. Um, Baptism, we... Now, baptism, this is another one where we kind of separate. We believe that you can't be baptized until you're, you're at the age of accountability to understand what you're doing where the Catholics baptize people when they're babies. We kind of deviate from that because the bat, uh, one priest that I was listening to explained the baptism is, is the your parents are indoctrinating you and they're declaring you as a, as a Catholic. Confirmation is where you as an adult, technically when you reach the age of accountability, determine that you are a Catholic in yourself. Reconciliation is where your soul is healed you know, marriage, anointing of the sick, you know, marriage is marriage. Anointing of the sick heals your body. Holy orders is the order of the church and its structure. And the Eucharist is Jesus Christ's dying on a cross over and again and again and again for your sins. Yeah. So we deviate from, we deviate in baptism. Yeah. Well, for us, baptism with, and with... confirmation would be our flip-flopped because we talk about um, dedicating our babies 
and then when they reach the age of accountability, that's when they're baptized. When they yeah, you know. with us in the PCA, we do baptize infants. Oh, okay. Um, which is which is a difference I know, but um, we don't not believe in believers' baptism. Um, but we don't believe it saves them. We believe that it's right. sort of a sign of the covenant. Um, agree. No, I promise. agree. I agree 100%. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. It, the thing is with Catholics, I completely disagree with the way they do it because they're saying you're washing the sins off and it, um, and it saves the child. Um, and it's something that everybody that a lot of people in the PCA have are, are former Baptists and they wait to have their kids baptized till they're older. Um, but you know, that's, that's always going to be an issue. Well, and I mean, again, it comes back to, do you believe that baptism is just a ritual, a supernatural ritual that can be done on somebody? Or is it something that is a representation of your covenant with God that can only be truly done if you understand what's happening? Because you're making this declaration of, I'm was what Paul talks about is baptism is that you're being buried with Christ and raised again in His resurrection. So in order to be buried with Him and raised again, you've got to understand what you're doing. You're making that declaration that I'm willing to be buried with Him and raised with Him. In other words, letting go of my old life. So it has to be something you understand. Again, right? Well, it's not an essential part of getting saved necessarily. So whether you dump you know, water on a baby's head or whether or not you baptize them when they're at the age of accountability and dunk them in a pool of water. Is there, I mean, honestly, baptism from a strictly um, historical standpoint was complete immersion in water and being being raised out of water. And it was something that happened in other religious ideas, not just Christianity. So it, it was not sprinkling water on your head. That was something that didn't come about until probably the you know dark ages to some degree. But back in actual um, Middle Eastern philosophy and religious philosophy, it means to be immersed in water. That's what it means. So, but go ahead. No, I mean that. Yeah, that. Well, yeah, the word baptizo, and I, I think immersion. You know, I. The mode is all, you know, I don't know what the mode is, but um, I wouldn't be against immersion. I would say that when you look at it, baptism, John said that baptism, that Christ would come and he would baptize in a different way. Everybody thinks of, uh, you know, John the Baptist baptized the way you're supposed to, but he said Christ would baptize differently. And so when did Christ baptize, you know? Not until he poured out the Holy Spirit, and he um, was thirty years old, and he was immersed in the River Jordan. So, you know, well, and yeah, he wasn't I mean, but He, you know, he, he, and he said, "I need you to baptize me." And yeah. John said, "No, you know, you need to baptize me." <laughs> and he's like, "No, this has to be done." But they're showing that there is an importance to it, that there is yeah. a significance to it, that there, you know, and that is something that I think we get so caught up in. And we're going to be wrapping this up here in a minute. But I, I think that that is something we do get so caught up in in our view of and our desire to be free in Protestant aspect of Christianity that we do lose sight of the importance of some of these rituals that Catholics yeah. then hold on to. They over they over stress the importance of it 
but they do hold on to the importance of things that we've kind of lost track of the importance of somewhat or made yeah. less important. They become just stuff we do. And again, you know, um, anything you do religiously that you're just doing it out of religious obligation loses a lot of times will eventually lose its importance heart wise. So, yeah. you know, and, and it, that is more important than the ritual aspect. But I do think that sometimes we lose the importance of baptism, of communion, of those ritualistic things that we still actually do do. And we well, overemphasize praise and worship. How, you know, yeah, I mean, you think about how things. individualistic really Americans are. Yeah. Um, which, you know, and... and People may disagree with me. You may disagree with me, but that's even something in baptism where we put it on our confession, true, on our our, our individual confession. When um, really, unless you're regenerated by the Spirit, you're not even going to know you're a sinner. It's true. Um, and as part of the sprinkling and cleansing that uh, Ezekiel 36 talks about, that in the new covenant he would come, he would sprinkle and cleanse your heart. Um, but, but you know, it, it, and and the thing is is we have become very individualistic. And yeah. what does it mean yeah. to me? What does it mean to me instead of really what does it mean to God? And, and that's true. The Absolutely body that true. he has called me into. Wow. And that's really important. And I do agree with you there that that is one of the things that I give kudos to Catholicism about is that they are in their own understanding, trying to be concerned, which is more important to God than what is more important to them. Yeah. And I and I think we do get way too caught up in our own preferences, and what how what does it mean to me is a and what it means to you does matter, but what it means to you is not more important than what it means to God, and we very yeah. much get caught up in this idea of preference. And to a Catholic, there is no such thing as preference. There is what is what is ritual, what is right, what is dogma, and what is not. <laughs> and to yeah. to to non-denominationals in particular. There tends to be a lot of, well, it's just we're free from the law, so we're not going to be bound by the law, so we can kind of do whatever. And yes, to some degree, Paul talks about that. And he says, you know, nothing for me is sin, but I allow nothing to master me. That's what he says. But he also says right. in Romans 14 that if my heart condemns me, for me it's sin. So therefore, I, I'm not going to do it because if my heart tells me it's wrong, it's sin. So there are some things that I think that – because uh, one pa – uh, priest I talked about said, well, there are things the Bible doesn't talk about. Well, these are what we as priests and the Pope and Catholic doctrine are then quantifying is what the Bible doesn't say is sin. If it doesn't cover it, we're going to tell you whether or not it's sin or not. And what Paul is saying, man can't necessarily do that, but your heart can. So if in your own personal relationship with God, your heart you feel like this is wrong, then for you it's sin. But if your brother, and it's not mentioned in the word, your brother's doesn't necessarily have a problem with it, well, it might not be sin for him, you know, to some degree. Or he might not right. be ready to accept that change in his life because he might be a baby Christian. So it's kind of like my dad had and, and I had talked recently, and he said one of the things that he felt like he was seeing was wrong in, in the church today was this idea of mixture. And I agree with him. We are very mixed with the world in a lot of ways. I see it myself in my own life. I spend way too much time watching anime and watching movies I shouldn't watch and reading books and, and that are not Christian books than I do spending time in the Word of the Lord. And I'm very mixed. 
You know what I'm saying? And so there is some reality to that, that this mixture has allowed itself into the body of Christ. And yeah. this mixture gets in through the idea of, well, you know, I can pretty much do whatever I want, and I don't really need to follow this law and structure. And we can get way out there in the Kookyville land and get away from reality to some degree and become very mixed. Yeah, I mean... It, it even goes into um, how many Christians approach um, anybody that believes differently than them, yeah. and they don't approach them with the, the attitude that Jesus is Lord. Yeah. And they say, well, they don't believe the Bible, so I didn't really say much. You know, and it's like, no, well, you're, you're thinking that this other person or this atheist or whoever it is is neutral. Right. But there's no such thing as neutrality. No, there isn't. And there so— isn't. Because the world says to tolerate, or the world says, you know, but like you said, there's also in the church a lot of, um, what, what it is is we have, we have had this idea of we need to be relevant. Sure. And yeah, what it has come at is the cost of the gospel in a lot of cases. Agreed. Even if we think, well, we got to get them in the door and then we can, you know, share the gospel with them. But a lot of times, once you do that, you start, once you start giving slack, you know, you, you start yeah. watering down the gospel to make it appealing to them. Yes. And it becomes a much less supernatural thing because really, um, really you just got to give it to them, right. you know, let the spirit work. Well, to end it all off, um, one thing that I had read at the time said that there are 1.2 billion Catholics in the world, 920 million Protestants, of which you and I would be considered, 350 million Orthodox, um, which I would have to say would probably be what, Coptic and Greek Orthodox Christians. Eastern um, Orthodox. Yeah. yeah. 50 million others, which most Christians, most sects of Christianity do not consider Christians. I'm assuming they're considering Jehovah's Witnesses in that group, maybe, or Mormons in that group, which we consider them a completely separate religion. But that might be what whoever had created this list created. So, to be honest, Christianity, there are... I mean, Protestants are getting close to, to Catholics, but there are still more Catholics in the world than there are Protestants. Well, you so, know there's like 10 million Southern Baptists, but I think they had like 50 million converts last year. Wow. That's a lot. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, so hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Um it's going to be split up into two more than likely, but hopefully you enjoyed this episode where we discuss the differences between Catholicism uh, and um, Protestantism, not necessarily yeah. Christianity and Catholic. What did you? <laughs> not necessarily Christianity and Catholicism, because I don't I don't believe it's fair to deviate and say that Catholics are not Christians. Um, there are some very real deviations. There are some very real problems that Protestants have with Catholic theology, and there's some very real problems that Catholics have with Protestant theology. But in essence, they both came from the same place. And as we understand, and as I believe, and as I know you do, Doug, Christianity is measured by your heart relationship with Jesus Christ. So whether you're a Catholic, whether you're a Methodist, whether you're a non-denominational holy roller like I am, um, no matter what denomination you hold to, if you believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he died for your sins, and he rose again on the third day, 
then you are a Christian. And, and that is what, Christi- what it means to be a Christian, is to believe that. There are some very real differences. And, and to Protestants, they really believe Catholics, in a way, Catholics are very heretic- heretical in a lot of their beliefs. And Catholics believe Protestants are very heretical in their belief. So, But we can see that they deviated from the same base principles. Which one is, I believe that obviously, as a Protestant, uh, we are in line with the word of God, because we're, we're, we go back to, if it's not in there, we don't practice it. And Catholics are believing that, well, we, you know, we have been given a special dispensation to create doctrine and to teach. So therefore what we kind of say goes, and we can trace ourselves back to, uh, uh, the disciples as well. So really it's two, two ideologies of the same base religion that have kind of deviated over the years. So, Honestly, you're going to have to kind of make up your own view of what you believe. If you're a Catholic, we love you, um, and, and I hope to see you in heaven with me someday, and I would love to talk to you. Hopefully you love, you, you, know, you love listening to our stuff. If you're a Protestant, obviously I'm a Protestant. Uh, I love you, and we may not disagree on everything, but if we believe that Jesus Christ is born, you know, died, and that through him we're saved by his grace, then we are all Christians, and we are all brothers and sisters together. So anyway, thank you again for listening. Hopefully you have a wonderful day. You can check us out on thechristiansages.com. You can also contact us through that, and our email is thechristiansages at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and have a great night. What is it called when a bishop eats half a donut? (laughs) I don't know. A partial indulgence. (laughs) (laughs) You got any more? After the second coming, Jesus will make time cease to exist that's called temporal punishment (laughs) (laughs) oh that was wonderful all right what is soldier boy's favorite thing about catholicism what is the eucharist (laughs) that was bad that was that was horrible that was stupid (laughs) what's what's jesus's favorite sports movie I don't know. What's Jesus' favorite sports movie? Miracle. Oh, God. <laughs> what did Dr. Fromet, what did Friar Romaine say at his first mass? What did he say at his first mass? Let us pray. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, this is getting worse. That's just getting bad there. All right, everybody. Have a great night. Love you. <laughs>